Morning. Morning. Oh, good grief. Morning. Morning. There you are. Maybe you're alive. Maybe you're awake. All right, this morning we're going to get into the church of Laodicea, the letter written to them by Christ through the hand of John. And, and this will be the last letter uh, to the churches. And uh, chapter 4 will start this uh, prophetic visionary uh, section of the scriptures, which I know all of you are looking forward to, at least most people, that's what they're looking for when you study Revelation. So we'll start to look at the throne room of, of heaven. We'll look at the scroll and the lamb. We'll get into the seals and the trumpets and, and the Leviathan and oh yeah, all this kind of crazy wild stuff that we're going to get into. So uh, I think we're, this is going to be exciting. It, it, may, it, it may be a little bit different than what you've heard before, or it may be a little different than what you thought that it might be, but I'm excited to get into the prophetic vision of the book as well. Not that we haven't seen some of that already. We saw some of that in chapter one. We saw some of that weaved in uh, to the letters of the churches even, and, and we're going to uh, expound on that once we get into chapter four and after that. But today we're we're going to focus on the last letter to a specific church, the church at Laodicea. And in this letter right here, this is, I think, probably the worst of all the churches. We have one other church that didn't have too much said about it um, in the church of, uh, uh, not Smyrna, but Sardis. We didn't have much there. There was a small remnant in Sardis, but for the most part, it was he was letting them have it. Here in the church at Laodicea, there's hardly anything said about that except for one little section, and it wasn't anything good that they had done, but it was how he loved them despite that they were in this type of situation. So this is a strong rebuke to the church at Laodicea, and, and, and what I believe that we need to take from this and how we need to learn from this is we need to ask the question, as a church, as a body of believers are we displaying any of the signs that Laodicea displays? Are we falling into any of the problems that they are falling into? And if so, what do we need to do in order to correct or to move back toward Christ in order that we would not receive the same type of rebuke from Jesus Christ? Amen? I mean, don't we as a group of believers, we want to know, we want to examine ourselves, we want to examine the church that we belong to, we want to look and see what is it that we're doing, are we doing what Christ has called us to do, are we being who Christ has called us to be as we walk through this life? And if not, what do we need to do? We need to repent, we need to do some things, okay? So this would absolutely apply to the believer as well, because anything that we can just about anything that we can speak to a church about and shortcomings that they may have would apply to us as believers as well. And so examine your own heart too. This is not a sermon that's not about you or not to you or not applicable to you, but it is absolutely uh, applicable. You can apply it to yourself too. And let's move closer to who Christ has called us to be. The, the main message behind today's sermon and, and this church in Laodicea is this idea that we we need to be testifying about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We need to be a witness to those around us about the glories and about the provision of Christ Jesus. And in doing so, we can allow them to see the truth, and that is, is that the things that are found in Jesus Christ cannot be substituted by the things found in the world.
world, though it may appear to be that way. And what I mean by that is this. I know that many of us, many of you, you get your identity, you get your peace, you get what you need, your sustaining. You are who you are and you remain that way based on outside things that you can gain into your life. Meaning that if you can get money, if you can get status, if you can get fame, if you can get popularity, if you can get success in sports, work, um, all of these different areas, then you're okay. Whatever it is that makes you okay, that is your God. Okay? You get it? You understand what I'm saying? Whatever it is that holds you together, whatever it is that allows you to exhale and go, I'm okay now. I have peace now. I have comfort now. And you say, well, I don't, I don't get that. I, I've seen people, I've seen lots of people use lots of different means to be okay. And this is a good indicator of what it is in your life that is an idol in your life. It is a God in your life. Because if, if, if you didn't have it, if it was taken away, oh, Lord, you would crumble and fall to pieces. Addicts, it are, it's on display maybe better than anybody else because they're addicted to substances. They're addicted to prescription medication, to alcohol, to marijuana. Marijuana is not addictive. Tell that to people that would fall, slam apart if they didn't have it. It's a false god. It's an idol. It's an idol. And so today I want you to examine yourself to see where you are, whether or not you are gaining and getting your identity and your, your desires met and fulfilled in Christ Jesus. Now I will say this, is that I'm, I'm primarily, this letter at least, is not primarily speaking to non-believers. None of these letters have. You see how it's really hard for a church to be an evangelism center? I understand the, the push and the drive for seeker-sensitive churches and seeker-driven churches and seeker-founded churches that they're all about reaching the lost out there with the church service. But that's a problem because it's hard to preach through the scriptures and be evangelistic in the way that the message is geared only to unbelievers because the church is explicitly stated to be an not an evangelism centered but a training ground of Christians and believers that they might be equipped to go out into the world and do evangelism and once they have reached people for Jesus Christ they bring them into the church for training discipleship and turn them right back out into the world that they might go evangelize the world as well. Now, the gospel and the preaching and teaching of God's word in and is in and of itself evangelistic to a large degree. So there may be someone sitting here, and as the word goes forth to train the believers, they go, wow, I don't have identity. I don't have peace. I don't have any of these things. How can I get that? So we praise God for people who come to faith. We've seen it many times. But I want you who in here claim to be, who claim to be believers, I want you to pay attention because God is calling you to action. He's calling you to repentance because the church in Laodicea is, is proclaimed that they do know Jesus Christ. So this letter is going out to those who proclaim at least, who at least face value, seem to be believers in Jesus Christ. 
And he is calling them to repent, to turn, and to stop doing some things that they are doing, and to start doing some things that they are not doing. So this is the, this is the setup of the letter. This is the, this is the crux. This is the foundation of the letter, okay? So let's rise to our feet in, in uh, respect out of God's word. I'll read through the letter, and then we'll just go and break it down a good bit. There's tons and tons and tons of materials here, but there's a few uh, things that I want you to see, so we'll kind of go through those things, and we'll see what the Lord does. Starting in verse 14, And to the angel of the church in Laodicea write, The words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, that's going to be really key right there, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit. The actual literal translation, literal Greek is, I will vomit you out of my mouth. For you say I am rich, I have prospered, I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich in white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may be seen and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Those whom I love I reprove and discipline so be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. May God bless the reading and the hearing of his word. You may be seated. Let me pray quickly for us and and this word is about to go forth. Lord Jesus, we want to just bathe this in prayer because I know it's a supernatural thing that you're doing as the preaching and teaching of God's word goes out. I know that as I preach and teach the word, we can get good informative facts and, and we can kind of see logical progressions of texts and those types of things. But God, I pray that something bigger than that happens. I pray that the Holy Spirit would take this word that's going forth and he would write it on individual hearts. That he would write it on the heart of the church and that we would see your glory and that we would move toward it without even knowing it, God, that we would just gravitate toward you, that we would be called back, called back from our sin, called back from our temptation, called back from our waywardness, and that we would turn and put our full face toward you and that we would love you and pursue you at 190 miles an hour. Help us to do what you've called us to do. In Christ Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so chapter 3, verses 14 through 22, the church of Laodicea. Now, I want you to look at this introductory uh, clause, this introductory phrase of this letter to the churches, and it, and it contains some attributes of Christ. Every single letter has done the same thing. At the beginning of the letter, he says, and to the angel of the church in Laodicea or Smyrna or Thyatira or wherever, he says, write this. And this is, this, all of these introductory clauses or introductory parts of the letters come straight out of chapter 1, and that is the prophetic vision vision given of Jesus Christ. And so what's going on here is that this is who the letter's coming from, Jesus, and these are some attributes of his. This is who he is. This is some things about him, and this is what these are the things about him that are going to help you to change who you are, that are going to speak into your situation, that is going to address the issues at hand. And so here are the attributes of Christ given in this letter. It says 
the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Now, in order to do some work on this, uh, this, this introductory here, there's lots and lots of Old Testament passages that are drawn from in this uh, little introductory phrase. I don't have time to go to all of them. I will say you can look in Proverbs 8, round 22. You can look in Isaiah 43. You can look in several different places like that where it starts to speak of the faithful witness. And in the Old Testament, three primary witnesses occur. You have God who is witness himself of who he is. You have the faithful witness, the one true one of Israel, his servant, okay, the one who will come from the throne of David. And then you have Israel as a witness, the people of God, the people who are marked out as the people of God. And so here he says, the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So uh, we, have this, we have this attributes given to Jesus Christ that would absolutely uh, identify him as Yahweh, the God of the Old Testament, so he is supreme. He is not a mediator of supremacy, but he is God in the flesh. He is the true one of Israel. He is the faithful and true witness, the one and only true witness. He is true Israel. This phrase where it says the beginning of God's creation, many commentators have said, well, this is speaking kind of out of a Colossians chapter one idea where it says that he uh, was the beginning and all things were made through him. And so Jesus Christ was at the beginning of physical creation. He was. All things were made by him and through him and to him and for him, okay? That is the original creation. So you were woven together in order to serve and glorify and honor Jesus Christ. This is why, I won't spend a lot of time here, but this is why you see, see, I know, let me see how to say this. I know that some of you are thoroughly convinced in your minds that if you could just get enough money or if you could just get enough, uh, um, I don't know, fame or um, reputation. There's so many things. If you could just get a certain something that's in this world that's physical, then you could be somebody. Then you could be somebody. But, it, it, and it's a myriad of things. As I just look around the room and I know some of you well enough to know, it's like, oh, here's yours. Here's yours. And I don't, I don't, want, to, I don't want to say you're slip showing, you know, but, but, but here's yours, here's yours, here's yours. And my, my, many of you know mine. Many of you know me. Many of you know mine. And so you, you're going, you're slip showing too, brother, you know. And, and so we all have these things that we start to gravitate to, right? And, but, but God, he does. He sets us free from those things. And so you all know the, the new believer, right? And when I was that guy too, right? I was a new believer. The Lord set me free. And I was like a crackhead meth addict. You know, I listened to all kind of terrible, horrible music. And all. And some, some of you do too. You know that, that rap music that's all about about sex, drugs, and alcohol, and all this kind of stuff. Like, that's just poison to your brain. But when I became a Christian, like, I threw away probably $350 of CDs. And that was a lot of money to me, right? You know, I had to throw away a bunch of magazines. Now none of y'all know what a magazine is anymore. I had to throw away all this stuff, right? I was just getting rid of it all because Lord set me free. Yeah, in like two weeks, three weeks, maybe two months, I was walking. I wouldn't slip and I wouldn't tend it because I got Jesus Christ on my side. And then I start to take my eyes off of Jesus a little bit. Fire starts to die down. And what happened? Start leaning back into those things. Start. I wonder if I could go to the dump and find all my CDs. 
So you start to lean back in, right? You start to lean back in. You start to lean. And, 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 cry, and, and, and you, you got all of these things, so you start to build this house back for some reason that the Lord already tore down. He already destroyed all that, but you start to build it back up. You start to go back to that thing. And it's so disgusting that Jesus Christ describes it as a dog going back to its own vomit. Is that you've already been set free from this. You've already got the alien substance. You've already got the poison out because Jesus Christ set you free. You vomited it out. You got it out of you. It's over there. Sin's not a part of you anymore. It's not a, it's not a master over you anymore. But you go back over and start laughing it up. It's disgusting. It's disgusting. And it's a lie. And it's a lie. I, I mean, how many of us know all of these celebrities who's got more money than they even know what to do with. And they're in, they're in rehab facilities. They're in mental institutes. They're committing suicide. They're doing all of these things. It's just like, it's not, you're, you're not going to find, why is that? Why is it? it it's not Jesus. Or it ain't Jesus. You see, the reason for that is, is that Ecclesiastes chapter 3 says that God has placed eternity in the heart of man. You see, so in, other, in layman's terms, you have a God-sized hole in you that only God can fill. And, and, and you will pursue anything to the end of that thing until you find out that it will not fill that hole. It won't. It won't. And so we look at this and we say that Jesus Christ is the beginning of God's creation. Now, many would take this to mean the earthly physical creation, and, and it, it could possibly mean that. I don't think that, it, I don't think that it's, it's explicitly speaking of that, though it may be tied in there. But we do hold to both, that Jesus Christ is the beginning of all of creation, and you were made to him, or you were made by him, to him, from him. It's him. It's him. He is the center of all. Christ is all. And you were made in order to glorify, honor, and serve him. And if you don't do that, you will find nothing but turmoil, unrest, and absolute hatred of yourself. Because you are not doing what you were created to do. Now, that being said, when he says the beginning of God's creation here, tied with the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I don't think that he is saying that he is the beginning of God's creation, meaning the earthly creation here, but the beginning of a new creation. Let me show you from Proverbs chapter 8 why. And that's kind of important in a, in a certain way, so I want to show it to you right quick. So Proverbs chapter 8, you can turn there, I'll just read it. Proverbs chapter 8 speaks of Christ in many different ways, but he says things like this. He says in Proverbs chapter 8, verse 22, he says, The Lord fathered me at the beginning of his work, the first of his acts of old. Ages ago I was set up at the first before the beginning of the earth. Now here's speaking of the beginning of creation before the earth. But he goes on, he says, When there was no depths I was brought forth, when there was no springs abounding, uh, uh, abounding with water, before the mountains had been shaped, before the hills I was brought forth, Forth before he made, made the earth with its fields or the first of the dust of the world. When he established the heavens, I was there. When he drew a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when he established the foundations of the deep, when he assigned to the sea its limit so that the waters might not... Uh, transgress his command when he marked out the foundations of the earth then I was beside him like a master workman so here he is at the beginning of literal creation at the beginning of the physical creation of the earth but he goes on it says he was 
going back to this. It says, he was the master workman uh, beside God as he was working alone. So Jesus Christ isn't a mediator. He is God in the flesh. And I was daily his delight, rejoicing before him always, rejoicing in his inhabited world and delighting in the children of men. So here he is. He was before creation. He was creating. And then he was enjoying creation. Now listen to this. And now, O sons, listen to me. Blessed are those who keep my ways. Hear instruction and be wise and do not neglect it. Blessed is the one who listens to me, watching daily at my gates, waiting beside my doors. For whoever finds me finds life and obtains favor from the Lord. But he who fails to find me injures himself. All who hate me love death. So he's saying, in me, though, are found the newness of life. Let's flip over to Isaiah chapter 43, and this will draw this all together. Listen to this. So he says, I was there from the beginning, and I was making and creating. I was the supreme uh, God in the flesh or, or in, the, in, in the beginning, and I was creating everything. But now he says, but now once we're here and once we're together, I want you to come to me for sustaining and what life is truly all about. Check out uh, Isaiah chapter 43. We'll start in verse 8. Bring out the people who are blind yet have eyes, who are deaf yet have ears. All the nations gather together and the peoples assemble. Who among them can declare this and show us the former things? So here is making a distinction between the former things and the things that are yet to come. He says, let them bring their witnesses to prove them right. And let them hear and say, it is true. You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen. And you may know and believe me and understand that I am, bef that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall, there, nor shall there be any after me. I, I am the Lord, and besides me, there is no Savior. I declared and saved and proclaimed, and there was no strange God among you. And you are my witnesses, declared the Lord, I am God. Go down to verse 18, and here's, we're gonna, here's where we're going to see what he's saying. Verse 18 says, Remember not the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it? I will make a way in the desert, in the wilderness, and rivers in the desert. He's drawing out this distinction between what was and what is. When he says the words of the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, he is saying here that he is the faithful and true witness. He is true Israel. He is God of all gods, and there is no God besides him. And he is the beginning of God's creation, drawing in everything that's possibly created in the created order, but also moving from that to the new creation that is brought about by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We also see this resurrection power in 2 Corinthians chapter 15. Is it just me or is it like blazing hot in here? I'm sweating like, will somebody please check that? Does somebody not turn it on or do I need to start stripping? <laughs> 2 Corinthians chapter 5, I'm sorry. There is no 2 Corinthians 15. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says this in verse 14, and then we'll skip to verse 17. I want to kind of show you this, what he says. 
For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. So here's this resurrection power. From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new new has come. Behold, the new has come. So here we are in the church of Laodicea. He's saying that Jesus Christ is the God of the, or he is God, is it, was it good? Was it me? It's me. Okay. I'm just a little excited moving around too much. Maybe, might be these lights. Anyway, so God, Jesus Christ is the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. So we established that Jesus Christ is not only the beginning of creation of the created order and all that you see and all that you can taste and feel and touch, but he is also God of the new creation, the new created order through what? Through his resurrection, which we know brings about the ability for us to receive the Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead now lives inside of us. And when we receive the Holy Spirit of Christ that lives inside of us, we experience resurrection power as well. And the old us, the former things, are killed away, and now we live in a new way with a new power, with a new source, and that is Jesus Christ. Because many of you are asking the question, Brandon, I want to live for Christ. I want to live in these ways. I don't want to pursue all of these things. Because let me ask you, just let's just get real for just a second here. Isn't it exhausting? Many of you chase the world. You know what I'm talking about. Many of you who are even believers, you actually do love Jesus and you're trying, but you're also living a dual life. You're trying to chase down worldly things as well, and you're running hard after them. It's exhausting, is it not? How many of you know it to be exhausting? Chasing status, keeping up with the Joneses, having all the nicest things, making sure that you, you provide this and you provide that when really none of that's necessary. And listen, I'm not against being able to, to buy nice things. I'm really not. I mean, I, I've got some things that I don't need that I just want. I'm not against that. The problem is, is that when we make them such a desire and such a powerful influence in our life that we fall apart when we can't get that thing. Also, let me hit another one here. If you're in debt up to your eyeballs over junk that you don't need, I would say that that's a really good sign of an idol. I mean, I I feel it. This is the American way. If you don't have the money for it, it's fine. Somebody's got the money for it, and they'll loan it to you. And the Scripture says that the the borrower is slave to the lender. And then, then it's not about having nice things, and then it's not about enjoying stuff it's about you have to make that money now because you have to pay that bill because you have indebted yourself you've enslaved yourself for what half the time we can't even remember what we bought with that money but Jesus Christ is the God of creation he is what it was all intended for he is what it was all he is what it was all made for he says here going on he says I know your works you are neither hot nor cold Uh, 
it says wood that you are either hot or cold, but it really, I wish that you are either hot or cold. Is kind of that language that he's using here. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit or I will vomit you out of my mouth. Now, there's two different ways to understand this with the backdrop of Jesus Christ being the beginning of all creation, the beginning of the new creation through his resurrection. We now have uh, the possibility to be what God has called us and created us to be. One way to understand this, and this is the way I always understood it because this is the way that I always heard it preached before and I always heard it uh, laid out before, is that when, when Christ says here through the pen of John, when he says, I wish that you were either hot or cold, but because you are lukewarm, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth or I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I always thought that that meant that Jesus was saying, basically, I wish you were either for me or completely against me. Is that how many of you understood that? I, I wish you were either good or bad. I wish you were either positive or negative. I wish that you were either all out for me or you just, just get away from me. And there, there's a legitimate um, argument that it, it, could, it could mean that. I'm not saying that it absolutely can't mean that. If you look at 2 Peter Look at 2 Peter chapter 2. Verse 21 says this, For it would have been better for them never to have known the way of righteousness than after knowing it to turn back from the holy commandment delivered to them. What the true proverb says has happened to them. The dog returns to its vomit and the sow, after washing herself, returns to wallow in the mire. Pretty good argument for that, right? Especially since he's using the word vomit here. So I think that we can absolutely apply that way of thinking to say that, listen, Christ is saying, you, you're not for me and you're not against me. You're just kind of straddling this fence. Then I wish that you would just get out of here. I'm going to vomit you out. You're just, you're just nothing to me. You're useless. I wish that you were either hot or cold. At least be committed to something. Be committed to Christ or be committed to the world. There is no in-between. And how many people do you know, and you may be one of them, that they say things like, oh yeah, I'm a believer, but I'm going to live my life, and one day I'll turn back to Christ. How many of you have heard that before? You don't have to point to yourself. Many people have this, this thinking that, well, I've got the fire insurance, I'm, I'm, I got the profession of faith. I said the prayer. Now I'm going to go out into the world and I'm going to live however I want to live. And then one day when I've done all my partying, when I've done all my living, I'll come back to Christ right before I die. Hopefully I can get it right on up to the end. Hopefully I'll have me a deathbed experience. You know, I'll just live right up till I'm laying on the bed about to die. And I'll be like, all right, Jesus, it's time for you now. And in essence, Christ is saying, no, that's not how it works. As a matter of fact, he's saying, it makes me sick. That makes me sick. And if that's where you are right now, just, just know you make Jesus sick. If you're living saved, I said that prayer when I was 13 years old. No, I don't live for Jesus. I don't go to church. I don't read the Bible and I could care less. I don't ever pray. You make, Jesus would look at you and say, you make me sick. That's what I mean. Is that 
There is another way to look at this, though, with some context. And my studies have revealed this. I never even knew this. But in context, this city of Laodicea had a really strange water problem. Laodicea was in that region. It, it, was, it was seated or it was placed right between two other cities called Hierapolis and Colossae. Colossae, however you say it. So in between these two cities. Now, the, the crazy thing is, is that Hierapolis was known for its hot water. It had hot water. And even traced back through historical documents, it can be seen that Hierapolis had such hot water that it was good for medical purposes. It could be used. They had, they had these springs of hot water that was very, very good for medicinal purposes, for other types of purposes, cleaning out infections, all these types of things. It was very good. And to the lower of that region was uh, Colossae, and it had very cold waters, which was very good for nourishment, very pure cold water. It was very good for nourishment. It was very good for drinking. It was very good in, in many different ways. And, and Laodicea, poor Laodicea had this big problem. Its waters were murky and lukewarm and good for nothing. This is just history. Now, I thought that is, that's no coincidence. No coincidence. So here is a text that a teaching can come out of it that is right. Right, that you, if you've heard of Christ and you've you've turned back to the world, it would have been better for you that you'd have never heard, because now you're accountable in a greater way. You're accountable. Let me tell you something right now. If you're sitting under the words of my teaching and my preaching, and you do not heed them and you do not turn to Christ, you should have never even come in here, because now you're accountable for the truth that's been given to you. That being said, there's a greater teaching. There's another teaching here, too. There's a greater teaching with, with context that, that here we are. We have this city who is sitting in between these other two cities. One has really hot water that has medicinal purposes. One has really cold water that has uh, refreshing purposes and purity purposes, and, it, and, it, and it, it just fills you up. And we also, from historical digs and all this type of stuff, we know that they tried to pipe the hot water in. They tried to pipe the cold water in, but it could never get there. Every time it got there, it was lukewarm and good for nothing. So here, if we, if we apply that context and if we apply that hist history that we learn, we see that what he's saying here is, is that I wish you were good one way or the other. I wish that you would be used by Christ in some way, something, but you're good for nothing. You're good. For <laughs> Great preaching, pastor. You're encouraging me to the greatest degree. He's saying, look, I wish that you would use your gifts some way. I wish, that you were, I wish that you were useful in this way or maybe useful in this way, but you're just wasting everything. And as a matter of fact, you make me sick like the lukewarm water in Laodicea would have made them sick. Their water would make them sick and it caused vomiting. Jesus Christ is saying, that's what you do to me. Because you're good for nothing, just like that water. I believe that actually fits the context of the verses. I'm even more convinced as we get on into the letter and we see that he uses other historical facts about this city to teach them a lesson too. Watch this. He says, you are neither hot or cold. I, I wish that you were either 
cold or hot, so because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit or vomit you out of my mouth. For you say, this is, this is really cool. He says, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Not realize. So here they are. They, uh, they must be fairly wealthy because in their minds they've got it going on. They must be, uh, and, and, and history would prove also that Laodicea was actually known for, uh, it was known for its textiles. So they produced lots of clothings and different things like this. They were kind of ahead of the curve. They were known for their banking systems. So it was a very wealthy city and those in the city would have been prosperous and, and, and they would have had uh, uh, lots of material wealth. They were also known for their medical schools. They were known, as a matter of fact, this is crazy, is that they were known for ophthalmology. They were known for a, a school for working on the eyes. And so these three facts together, when you see what he's about to say to them, it really brings some stuff out. So here we are in our own day. How does this apply to our church? Is that the, the church at Laodicea, this, this city, these people, they were just absolutely convinced because of their their textiles and their banking and their medical and all this stuff they had going on in the world, all of these great worldly things going on, that they were perfectly fine. I put a post on Facebook yesterday. Some people, I think, didn't like it. But here's what it said, is that the prosperity gospel oftentimes equates prosperity and, and material wealth with the presence of God. But in, in Revelation, what have we seen? I've just talked straight through the book. You know that time and time and time and time and time and time again, that lots of material wealth was actually evidence of compromise with the world. Amen? So I would say to you that I'm not a, I'm not a poverty theologian. I'm not. But I would say to you, be very careful. And if you're very wealthy, you need to be very careful. And you need to examine yourself to see whether or not you've compromised in order to get the wealth. It's not always that way. Lots of people, God is, is blessed with money because they're very generous. And because they're very selfless and, and humble. And they're, they're free. They give away. And they love people. Praise God. But many times, wealth is not a blessing but it's a curse many times. And so I would say, caution. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into, the, get into heaven. Be very careful, very careful. But here we are. This church is convinced because of its, its worldly success that, that, that it's, it's fine. It's fine. That it's working everything uh, out like it should. And, and, and what Jesus is saying is that actually you're not fine. But he uses these things. He says you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You know, it makes me think of some of the churches around. It makes me examine, examine myself. It makes me sound myself. We can spend all the money we want to on video and lights and, and, and screens and, and nice instruments. And, and we can get a bunch of people in here. But are we, because of our worldly things, technology and, and, and things like that, are, are we growing everybody that way and sitting here going, yeah, I'm growing this church, but yeah. I think of New Spring. I'm not picking on New Spring. Maybe you like it, maybe you love it. I'm not saying one way or the other. 
But if New Spring has gotten 30,000 people because it was really good at working worldly goods, we got a problem. Maybe they didn't. I have no idea. That's for God to judge and for the people there. I, I like some moves that they have made. I think that they're doing a lot better now than they have been before. All I'm saying is, is that any church that uses worldly means to grow needs to be very careful in what they define success as. Hey, redeem the times. Use that stuff. That's fine. But we got to make sure that we're building this thing around Jesus Christ and the Word of God, and those things are used to serve Him and not used to serve numbers of butts and seats. Okay? We've got to be faithful to the Word of God. We've got to be a faithful witness to Jesus Christ. So we praise God for that stuff. We've just got to examine and make sure. Because they were absolutely convinced that they had it going on. But he says, you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Now, how does he counsel them? What does he say now? Because amazingly, he's not saying that, just shut the doors, shut the doors. No, he's not saying shut the doors. As a matter of fact, I told you there was only one place in the whole letter where anything good was said. Well, listen to what he says, and I like this. I like it because it shows that Jesus Christ is sticking with them. He says in verse 19, we're going to skip uh, one verse ahead and we'll come back. In verse 19, he says, those whom I love... I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. Basically, he is telling them, look, I'm telling you all these things because I love you. I'm telling you all these things because you need to make some changes. Look, I, I love the church. I want the church to do good, but I don't want it to be false under a false impression of success when all you've done is make a lot of money and make a lot of friends. But in order to make those money and to make those friends and to get those butts in those seats, you've compromised me with the world. And I'm not okay with that. As a matter of fact, it makes me sick. That's what Jesus is saying. He said, I love you, so therefore I'm going to tell you the truth. I love you, therefore I'm going to tell you the truth. Well, listen to what he counsels them. And I think, if you'll remember what I told you, they were known for their banking, they were known for their textiles and clothing, and they were known for their medical schools, uh, especially ophthalmology. Listen to what he says to them. He says, I counsel you. Now, this comes out of Isaiah chapter 55, verse 1. But he says to them, he says, I counsel you to buy from me Gold refined by fire so that you may be rich. White garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. You see that? Come on. That's good. That's good. So Jesus is looking out and saying, hmm, they're trusting in their money. Trusting in all these clothes coming out of here. And they're trusting in this ophthalmology school. No. You need my gold. You need my clothes. And you need my salve because y'all blind as a bat. You see it? You see it? Jesus, in every way, is saying that nothing you trust in in this world will do what it's supposed to do because it all points to me. And I'm the only place you can go to to get any of your needs met. And without me, all of that stuff is useless and it makes me sick. Question. I had a conversation with a guy one time. He liked to smoke weed. He didn't think it was a problem. Maybe you like to smoke weed. I don't know. Maybe you don't think it's a problem. I just asked a series of questions. I would, you know, one, weed's not legal in South Carolina, so it's, we can just say it's sin, okay? But even if they legalize it, let me just ask a few questions. I asked him a question. 
I don't have a problem with it, Brandon. I don't have a problem with it. I can, I'm not addicted. I don't, that's not a sin. Not a sin. Why do you think it's a sin? Ask the question. You say that you need it. Why? Well, when I smoke it, I just feel so at peace. Okay, what else? Well, you know, sometimes I get antsy and nervous. And when I smoke it, it just mellows me out so that I can just have good relationships with everybody around me. Okay? What else? Well, I can't concentrate. You know, I can't think of one thing at a time. I can't, can't concentrate. So when I smoke it, it helps me to get my mind right. It helps me to think clearly. Okay. So it gives you peace, builds your relationships, and brings you to a better reality. What's Jesus do? What's Jesus do? We can do it with pornography, alcohol, money, sleep, name it. Idols. That's, that's the definition of an idol. That's the definition of an idol. Why, I, why do you work all of those hours? You work, you work 15 hours a day and you never see your children. Why do you do that? To provide a safe and secure environment for my family so that they might be successful in life. But they need you in their life, speaking Christ into their life in order to have that. The one that you're buying them is a false representation of what they truly need. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. That term there, the shame of your nakedness, is an Old Testament term which shows the idolatry in Israel. When he talks to them about the shame of their nakedness, he's always talking to them about the idolatry that, it's made, that has made its way in and among them. And sow to anoint your eyes so that you may see. And he says to them, he says, those whom I love I reprove and discipline, so be zealous and repent. So those of you today who feel like, it's, like I'm getting on to you, or like, I'm, like, like Christ through this is kind of hammering you a little bit, it's only because he loves you. And he's trying to reprove you and discipline you in order to bring you back into that relationship with him. He only wants to, to, to fellowship with you. He only wants to be intimate with you. Say, so how do you know that? Well, look at verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. You know, this verse right here, I always heard at youth camp many, many times. I always heard it at different church services and it was always presented as an evangelistic verse that Jesus is knocking on the door of your heart. Won't you just let him in and be saved? Well, we might can make that argument somewhere else, but that's not what this is teaching. Remember, I already told you that this letter is addressed to the church of Laodicea. These are so-called believers. These are the ones who are already saved. 
These are the ones who had an experience with Jesus, and they professed him as Lord, and they prayed the prayer, but they've walked a million miles away from him, and they don't love him anymore. At least they don't seem to. They're finding all of their satisfaction in something else. They're putting all of their time into something else. And, and how many of us, how many of you spend so the vast majority of your time, your hours, pursuing something else in order that you might be okay. And you never even look at Jesus Christ, yet you want to take his name? I only reprove you and rebuke you because I love you. Don't be fooled like the Laodiceans. You spend 90% of your time, 98% of your time, 99.5% of your time pursuing the world, and you spent 0.5% of the time pursuing Christ. But you want to tell me that he is your everything? He is your all? I just absolutely warn you and plead with you to examine that. Because you may be in this situation. You may be in the situation that, yeah, you, you blabbed it and grabbed it and you said something one time, but are you in the place where you're just, it's just sickening to Jesus? You say, well, I thought Jesus was more forgiving and loving than that. Well, why do you, why do you hold him to less of a standard than you would your own spouse? Come on. He's God. He's God. Imagine if you treated your wife like you treat Jesus. Imagine if you treated your husband like you treat Jesus. Yeah, I love you. I'll see you next week. I'll see you in, in, in six months. I won't call you. I won't text you. I won't, I won't come see you. I'm not going to write you a letter. I won't even read the letters that you send to me. She'd say, it makes me sick. You say, yeah, hey, you might spend all kind of time with your wife. You might spend all, but because you didn't, but because you didn't live with her in a way that she understands and she, the language that she speaks, you made her sick anyway. What you got to do? You got to get to know her. You got to see what makes her happy. You got to see what floats her boat. You get to know her. Know what she likes. Know what she doesn't like. Take time. Take time. Let her be what makes you happy. Ultimately, Christ, but in this world, be your wife. Proverbs says, men, return to the fountain of your youth. Don't go, any, don't go to any other waters. Find your delight in, in, your, in your wife. Find your delight in your husband. Isn't that, isn't that what, this is all about a witness. This is all about a witness. You see, Jesus Christ has promised here, if you will, if you will just open up the door. See, many of, you, many of you, you've sat down and ate with Christ before, but you're not fellowshipping with him now. You're not walking with him. You're not talking with him. You're not receiving counsel from him. Yeah, you experienced him one time, but it's been a long time. And he's just a word. He's just a thing. And he's saying, look, I'm knocking on the door. We ate together one time, and I miss you. I miss you. Can we not, can we, can I come in? And let me, let me hit this too. Many of you don't believe that. See, 
I'm convinced that many of us, we don't have the door closed because we don't like him. We have the door closed because we're convinced that he doesn't like us and that he can't like us. Because you know the sin you've committed. You know the filth on you. You know what you have went back to. You know you've got that little dribble of vomit on your chin, like with that time you got drunk. You know you've got, but Jesus is, Jesus is standing knocking on the door. See, he's longing to come in. He's longing to, he's longing to restore you. I know you got some junk. Man, I got junk. But he's longing to restore you. He's longing to fulfill you. He's longing to remind you. He's longing to take you to places that you've never even been before. And the way, the, the thing that happens when that is established is that when you're renewed, filled up, full up, running over, is that you begin to witness to those around you in a way that you never could before, not with words. Because you are a living testimony. You are a witness to what God has done and what Christ is doing through the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ. I wonder how many in here have just, you know, you've been beat up. You've, you've fallen down. Maybe, maybe you were abandoned when you were younger and you've just turned your back on God. Maybe you abandoned someone when they were younger and you've turned your back. Maybe you believe that you do not deserve forgiveness and restoration. But Christ is longing. He's standing at the door. I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne as also I conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. As we all stand to our feet, I would ask... Have, you, have any of you heard what the Spirit has said this morning? We've got to reach that world out there. We've got to reach that world out there. But we can't reach that world out there if we are not filled up full of Jesus Christ. Because what are we going to give them? What are we going to take to them? We're going we're gonna to give them some food. We're going we're gonna to pay their power bill. We're going to show them how to get a job. Are we going to show them those things without showing them that ultimately all of that stuff points to Jesus Christ who alone can sustain us? You can't give what you don't have. I plead with you this morning. Answer the door. For those of you who have never sit down and ate with Christ. For those of you who have never experienced salvation, you've never been born again by the power of the Holy Spirit, I invite you to come today and, and give your life to Christ. Let Him overwhelm you. Let Him redeem you. Let Him restore you. Let Him give you new birth and a new life to create in you a new creation by the power of the Holy Spirit. You don't know what it's like to live until you know Christ. That's a guaranteed promise. The front is open for response. I'm here. I'll pray with you. You can do business with God where you are. It's time to come back to Christ. It's time to come back to the one that you were created for anyway. Give your life to Christ. Give your all to Christ.